that Jesus has shown us on the cross, that we love you for that. Thank you for saving us, Father. Thank you for loving us the way that you do, for being a way maker, a promise keeper. Please speak to our hearts tonight. I pray that we just would open our hearts to receive your word tonight. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Brennan Pugh is a high school football coach in the state of Mississippi. This past week, he was so excited. Last year was his first year coaching football, and uh, they didn't win too many games at all. And this Friday night, last night, they had a game that uh, was going to be highly competitive, and he was so excited. He was so excited to participate. However, during the week, he uh, was exposed to COVID-19 and he had to quarantine for 14 days. (laughs) But there was something within him that said, I've got to connect with my football team. And so perhaps the picture tells you what he did. (laughs) He rented a lift, and long before anyone got to the football game, he went up into the lift so that he could connect with his team. And I saw that on Twitter last night, and I thought, That's what we're talking about tomorrow at Crossroads. Saturday night of the best weekend ever. We are talking about, to get us into the discussion, we are talking about the importance of connection. We looked at that last night. That every human heart, we are wired for connection. You believe that? Well, you can try and convince yourself, no, 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 I'm I'm good on my own. I've tried doing that. I shared that with you last night. Isolation is the death of a man or a woman. We are wired for connection. And friends, we will search and we will long. It's one of the most important searches that you and I will ever go on, is the search for connection. And sooner or later, you have to, you have to ask yourself, and you will develop an answer to this question, where? Where are you going to go to find a deep, authentic connection marked by unconditional love and acceptance? Love and acceptance that goes beyond the external. It goes beyond performance. It goes beyond the physical. (laughs) Love that is eternally secure. It's persistently steadfast and strong. Have you found that connection? Where are you searching? So last night we talked about a story that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 15 about a prodigal son that was restless. And he became convinced that if he could just receive the inheritance and head off to a distant country, he could find what he was looking for. And so he asked for his father's inheritance and he set off on a search for purpose and meaning. And he squandered all of that wealth on wild living That son longed for love and purpose, adventure and meaning. And what he discovered is that the pursuit of more and more and more can lead to a very, very dark and lonely road. (laughs) Where have you searched for more? More work? 
more hobbies, more drinks, more fun, more family, more parties, a bigger RV and a bigger RV, (laughs) more and more and more of anything other than God will never satisfy the wiring of a human heart. Oh, you've been trying to convince yourself, if I could just get more of this and more of that, a a bigger truck and get it lifted off the ground a little higher, (laughs) a little bigger Harley, whatever it might be. If I could just get that first pick in the fantasy football draft. (laughs) And we want more and more and more. Never satisfies. Never satisfies. We're wired for a relationship with God. And when we search for that more of anything other than God, we will, sooner or later, we will, like the prodigal son, we will awaken to regret. And the only pathway, the only escape from regret is to set out, to turn directions and to go back to our father. And that's exactly what the prodigal son did. He came to his senses and he headed back to his father. He realized that the central connection in life is to connect with God, to connect with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and to connect to a church family. It made all the difference in my life. I'm guessing many of you would say that made all the difference. I've heard some of your stories. I was out in front of the facility about 6.15, 6.20, and several of you came up to me and shared little pieces of your story on how you were on a search for meaning and purpose and connection. And you found it in Jesus Christ. You found it in a church family. And so friends, all of you watching online, I know there are friends and family of Crossroads that are watching, and friends and family of mine that are watching in various states. There are those who are at home watching online. There are those who are watching outside on the big screen. And those of you here in the room, all of you, all of you, we all have a different story. Yet we have the same thread. Sooner or later, we had to make our way back home. And to all of you that have made your way back home, congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. I love to tell people, welcome home. Welcome home. It took a bold and courageous decision on your part. It took courage. It took humility. It took strength. But you made your way home. You came to your senses. And you made your way home. Whether that was last night or in this last year or 40 years ago, 50 years ago, congratulations. You came home. Tonight I want to continue in that story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. I want to look at the father's response. We looked at the first piece of it. But we kind of want to, I want to go on a little bit. And then we want to look at the response of the older brother and what should our response be in back to all that our Father has done for us. And this will lead exactly into tomorrow morning and our topic at that time. The prodigal son did indeed waste all of his money on wild and outrageous living. He found himself at the lowest of the lows. He was without a friend. He was without money. He was without food. He was homeless. He comes to his senses. He heads back to his Father. He expects rejection. Instead, Verse 20, while that son was still a long way off, his father saw him, and the father was filled with, what's the word? The father was filled with compassion. He 
ran to his son. He threw his arms around him, and he greeted him with one of the most noble and loving and kind expressions of connection in Jesus' day, that of a kiss. And in verse 21, the son looks at his dad and he says, Father, I have sinned. I have rebelled against heaven. I've rebelled against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I want to talk about that for just a minute. One of Satan's biggest weapons to defeat and destroy us is to steal our identity. And please understand, you have an enemy who prowls around like a lion. Satan. His desire is to steal and kill and destroy you. Do not be unaware. You have an enemy, not only of your soul, you have an enemy of your career, an enemy of your marriage, an enemy of your future. He wants nothing more than for you to be as miserable as he is and to spend eternity apart from your heavenly father. You have an enemy who's very subtle. He's more of a hitchhiker than he is a hijacker. You let him in on the passenger seat and shortly he's behind the wheels and now you're in the back seat and he's driving and moving your life rather than the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your hope. He wants to ultimately kill and destroy you. So the son says two powerful statements. The first one is, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I mean, that's an amazing statement of humility. I mean, that took courage. That's a statement of repentance. I have come to my senses and I realize that I've hurt the heart of my heavenly father. I've hurt my family. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And then he makes a statement, a statement of shame. Now, let me explain something real quick to you. I don't know if you've ever understood this before, but I see some younger folks here. I wish I would have understood this earlier in my life. So let let me see if I can explain this to you. A lot of times we use the word shame and guilt interchangeably, right? And they are two very, very different, very different concepts. Guilt says, I have done something wrong. Guilt is actually very healthy. Because I realize I've done something wrong, and so I need to say I'm sorry. I need to make that wrong. I I wronged my boss, and so I need to make that situation right. I realize I broke a law, and if I need to, what the consequences, I need to accept that. Right? So guilt is actually a very healthy emotion. (laughs) Not false guilt, but when I have guilt for something I've done, it's very healthy. It actually helps me to to turn to God and make that which is wrong right. Does that make sense? That's guilt. Shame, however, shame says there's something wrong with me. Not that I've done something wrong, that's guilt. Shame says I'm broken. I'm I'm not wired right. I'm just screwed up. I'm not lovable. No one will ever love me. That's not true. No, I'm not acceptable. That's not true. That's shame. I'm not forgivable. Oh, I'm always going to hurt people. I'm always, I'm, I'm, I'm always going to be an, an addict. I'm always going to relapse. That's not true. That's shame. There's something wrong with me. 
No one can ever forgive me. That's not true. You see, shame steals our identity. I'll never get clean. God could never, if you knew what I did, you, you wouldn't like me. That's not true. That's shame. It's a half-truth. It's true that the son could not earn his father's love. He could not earn his way back to his father, but he didn't need to. He didn't need to earn his father's love. He just had to receive the love of the father. You see, shame is from Satan. It's a devastating deception. Friends, listen. If you can understand this as well, the earlier in life that you understand this, man, I, we try to pour this, my wife and I, we try to pour this and continue to pour this into our son. We, we try to pour this into our daughter. Your value is not based on your performance. I'm not going to love you anymore if you do what I want you to do. I'm not going to love you any less if you do what I don't want you to do. Your performance does not earn my love. This is not a conditional love. It's unconditional. Your value is not based on your past performance. You are not more valuable if you're the MVP of your football team or if you got cut your freshman year. You're not more valuable if you live in a $500,000 house or you live in a minivan down by the river. I mean, it's Saturday night of the best weekend ever. And like five of you caught my Chris Farley. <laughs> I actually watched that clip this afternoon, man. It just cracks me up. It's just funny stuff. Motivational speaker living in a van down by the river. Friends, you aren't more valuable to me or to God if your rap sheet is squeaky clean or it's as thick as an encyclopedia. You see, shame wants to be a shadow on your homecoming. Shame wants you to forget who you are, whose you are, and where you belong. We all belong in God's family. There are no outsiders. We all are invited in, each and every one of us. Your value, your worth as a human being is not based on your performance. It is simply based on the unconditional love that has been consistently and persistently displayed throughout generations by your creator. Is this making sense with, to you? <laughs> that, that is how you recover from betrayal. That is how you recover from being teased as a kid. That is how you recover from hurt and wrong and rejection. It's not about performance. It's about the unconditional love of our Father. That's what gives me worth. Whether I'm having the worst day of my life or the best day of my life, it's not about performance. It's about the price that Jesus Christ paid so that I could be a part of his forever family, and it's made all the difference. And so when the father meets the son, he says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on my son. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, not the skinny thing. <laughs> I mean, bring the best steaks that we have. It is party time, all out. Let's have a feast. And what's the word? 
celebrate. What's the word? Celebrate. celebrate. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate the change. For this son of mine, he was dead, but now he's alive. He was once lost, and now he is found. So they began to what? They began to celebrate. Now, I want to teach you something. Maybe you know this. If you do, it's great. It'll be a reminder. If you don't know it, I hope you never forget it. I need you to repeat after me. There were three things that the father gave to the son. He gave a robe. Say the word robe. He gave a ring. And he gave sandals. All right. A robe. A ring. And sandals. Don't ever forget that. A robe, a ring, and sandals. Let me explain. A robe was protection. It was a symbol of protection. Son, you have come back home and you're now living under the protection of your heavenly father. This represents comfort and peace and rest. Did you notice he didn't just give him any old robe? Hey, we got that kind of tattered robe that we occasionally let that uncle of ours that we don't really like wear when he comes to visit us. No, he says, bring the best robe. Who would have had the best robe in the house? The father. What he's saying is, you know that brand new robe I just bought Amazon Prime last week? And it got delivered? I mean, it's still got the package, and man, it's like the finest robe in whatever county I'm in right now, Indiana. <laughs> I mean, this is like the envy of all robe wearers. It's the finest robe. It's got like Notre Dame symbols on the shoulder and Indianapolis Colts and a picture of Bobby Knight on the front. I don't know. <laughs> Bring the best robe and put it on my son. <laughs> that was the father's way of saying, you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to earn my love. You don't have to earn my sonship. You're my son. You don't have to make up for your past. You don't have to work and prove yourself. No, no, no. You can rest well knowing that you're loved without condition. A ring? A ring was a symbol of security. When a king wore a ring, it was a symbol of his power because of the position that he had as king. Presenting a ring to someone was a sign of being placed in an office of authority and respect. So when the father gave his son a ring, he was telling the son, you are now representing, you're representing me. You've got all of the power. You have all of the authority. It's kind of like if you were to give your children power of attorney. <laughs> You can now write checks on my behalf. You can sell my house. You can, you've, got, you've got all the authority that I have. Wow. Think about this. The son, just shortly before this, he was penniless. He was friendless. He was broke. He's feeding slop to the pigs, and he's so hungry that he's tempted to eat what they're feeding the pigs. And now he has all of the power and the authority and the resources of the Father? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and you wonder, you wonder why when believers get together in a worship service, online, parking lots, in a room like this, there's energy and there's joy? I mean, this isn't a funeral when we get together. No, 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 we have a Father who's given us a, a robe and he's given us a ring and, he, and he's given us sandals. Sandals are a symbol of inclusion into a family. In Jesus' day, when you went to a house, if you were a hired worker, you wore bare feet. If you were a part of the family, you had sandals on your feet. And so the prodigal son came home with nothing on his feet. 
And we know, all we know is he went off to a distant country. And I have no idea how many days, you know, this was a parable. This was a story. Jesus didn't give us all the details, but we do know he went to a far country and he made his way back home. I I can only imagine how beaten his feet were after making his way back home. And the father says, here are a pair of sandals. You are a part of the family. You are not a slave. You are not a servant. You are my son. (laughs) Welcome home. We're family. Church isn't a building. Even when it's raining outside. (laughs) Aren't you thankful? There are are literally millions of believers on Sunday morning that will be worshiping without a roof. Did you know that? There are believers in parts of the world that, uh, I've been to Guatemala and we, we, it's really raining outside. It sounds like it could be hailing, I don't know. Tim, can you just finish out this sermon wherever Tim Fisher is? <laughs> you probably can't hear this online. You're wondering why is John like hesitating and stalling? It's because it's hard to hear right now, it's noisy. But you know there are millions of believers around the world tomorrow. They're going to gather together hoping that they aren't found out because if they are, it's illegal for them to have a Bible. It's illegal for them to praise the name of Jesus Christ. And there are millions of believers around the world. They're going to worship in open air. And whether it's raining or storming, they're going to still gather and they're going to get muddy and they're going to get dirty. But that's how much they long to get together with the family. And here in America, if there's a football game, we choose not to come to church. Now, that had nothing to do with the sermon. I just thought, since it's raining, I'll throw it out to you. (laughs) But our Father has given us a robe, a ring, and sandal. A church isn't a building, it's people. It never has been a building. Oh, a building is a tool. It's a beautiful tool. It helps us lead people to Christ, and it helps us communicate. congregate and to meet and to equip our children and a a building's a a beautiful thing here in America. But it's not a church. A church is people. A robe, a ring, and sandals has made a huge difference in my life. Even in this very last few weeks. 21 years ago, my wife and I started a church in Fargo, North Dakota and The church grew and we were blessed and we had a blast and we poured everything we knew in. We poured our our time and our financial resources and our energy and our our health and we just, we poured everything we could in to the people of Fargo-Moorhead and to Prairie Heights Community Church. And about a year and a half ago, God began very clearly saying it was time to pass the leadership baton on and it was time to walk away and move to a distant country of Kansas City, Missouri. <laughs> and I had no idea. It was like a tornado came through our, our, our life. A lot of relationships. We now were separated. And, you know, I, I, I got good at something. I got good at being a pastor. And all of a sudden, I, it, it was what God called us to do, to walk away. And it was all gone. And we're in the middle of a pandemic in March. And my wife is diagnosed with thyroid cancer, and it was tough. (laughs) There was fear and there was worry. (laughs) Was there loneliness? Oh, my goodness. 
Were there nights that I would wake up and like, God, how did, how did, how did we end up here? And I will tell you guys that the robe and the ring and the sandals have meant all the difference in my life these last few months, even this very last week. I don't have time. Absolutely. Praise God. <laughs> and honestly, to be invited into the Crossroads family and to spend the best weekend ever with you is, is more of an honor than I could ever explain to you. It was one of the ways. Thank you. And I got to tell you, I've been reminding myself before I got here, man, I know, Pastor Tim is trusting me and all of you, you're here, you could be doing something else and like, all right, God, I want to offer my best, I want to do a good job, but then at the end of the day, I remember when I go home tonight, whether this was the worst sermon ever or average or wherever it is, God doesn't love me anymore or love me any less. It's not about performance. I'm not here to perform. I've been, on, I've been on that hamster wheel before as pastors. It can be tough because I see the need in people. And so I want to share God with them. And sometimes I feel like I'm, well, I know I'm a part of that process, but sometimes you, you take that burden on like, okay, I, I need to do this. And, and then I, you start, your, your self-esteem and who you are starts becoming a part of, of that picture. And it's like, no, 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 no. My identity is in Christ and Christ alone. So here's a quote from Henry Nouwen. He says, every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, as strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I can't feel it right now, is that I am a chosen child of God. I am precious in God's eyes. God has a picture of you and a picture of me up on his fridge. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So let's talk through. There's one more key person in this story. Anyone know who that is? There's an older brother. And if you're familiar, here's what happens. The older brother is out in the field working. He comes to the house. He hears music and dancing. And calls one of the servants. He says, hey, what's going on? Oh, your brother's come home. Your father has killed a fattened calf because he has his second son, home, back, safe, and sound. And what does the older son do? He becomes angry. He refuses to go in. His father goes out. He pleads with him. He said, look, father, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this young son of yours who took his inheritance well, I stayed here on the family farm and I busted my tail for you and for our future. This other son of yours, he squandered your property with prostitutes and wild living. And when he comes home, you, f you kill the fattened calf for him. I can't imagine how much that again, hurt the heart of the father. And the father says, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But what we, what we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, we need to talk for a few minutes. Can we do that? I mean, like, I don't know if I'll ever be back here again. So, I mean, well, you can get mad at me. I, you may never see me again after tomorrow. <laughs> do you know that one of the main reasons why a lot of churches around America are not on mission 
They're not interested in connecting one more person to God. They're not interested in celebrating changed lives. It's because the church is full of members and even pastors who are a lot like this older brother. They've made the church about them. Well, this is what I like. This is the volume of music. I don't like video boards. I like a choir. I like this. I don't like that. They've made the church about them, not about the lost sons and the lost daughters. <laughs> well, you know, I like service time. You know, I like to sleep in, so I'll come to the 11 o'clock. Well, but there's a lot of new folks who come to 11 o'clock, so can you come at 8? No, I can't come at 8.30. I have to get up Monday through Friday. I'm not going to get up early on Sunday. When we say those sorts of things, are we not being a lot like this older brother? What God has revealed to me is there's more of that older brother in me than sometimes what I'd like to admit. Jesus said, I came to connect people to God, and then we can celebrate for all of eternity. Can't we make some sacrifices here on earth so that we can have a bigger party in heaven someday? Now, I don't know, this comes from a movie, and I have no idea what movie, but we had a slogan at Prairie Heights, there ain't no party like a Prairie Heights party. And what we meant by that is there's nothing, there's nothing like seeing people find Christ, and there's nothing like the party that we're going to celebrate in heaven someday. And what I've learned about Crossroads, even before we came, but even more so after last night and tonight, is there ain't no party like a Crossroads party. <laughs> Because the greatest party of all is when you and I have contributed to the cause and we've engaged in the mission. And that includes finances, and that includes volunteering, and that includes making sacrifices so that we save open chairs for those that need to come. And when I receive Christ, I try and attend at service times so that there's room for those who don't normally come can come. And I'm willing to volunteer in, in, in kids' ministry because there's so many kids coming out of the walls, whatever. I'm willing to engage. I'm willing to sacrifice because I want to celebrate more people coming to know Jesus Christ. <laughs> and see, what happens when we stop growing spiritually is we stop being quick to obey we start comparing ourselves with other people. Well, you know, so-and-so, I see them doing this. You know, so-and-so, I don't know. I've been pulling my weight for a long time around here. <laughs> and we stop growing, and we stop obeying, and we stop sacrificing, and we start comparing ourselves. Man, that's a miserable way to live. Because now all of a sudden, it is about performance. And so there's this slippery slope that you and I can get on, even as believers. We forget about the robe, and we forget about the ring, and we forget about the sandals, that we were barefoot. And our Heavenly Father said, you're part of the family. You, you, you inherit everything. But while we're here on earth, let's bring in the harvest. <laughs> what if Crossroads grows by 100 people in the next year? What if they grow by 500 people in the next year? What if they grow by 5,000 in the next 10 years? I don't know. But can you imagine the party? that would happen here on earth as well as someday in heaven. So I don't know about you, but I don't want to respond to my father's love the way that the older brother does. I want to be as distant from what, how the older brother behaved as possible. And so I need to, every so often, I need to come before the Lord, I need to inspect my heart. Where am I being selfish? Where am I being, hey, the church, where have I made it about me? 
And God, what is it I need to do to engage fully in celebrating the change, what you've done for me? And so I want to love God, and I want to love people, and I want to keep growing. I don't want to start comparing myself to other believers. Well, here's what they do, so I don't know why I need to do this, because that's what, you know? No, 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 that's not what I, that's not how, I don't want to live my life like the older brother comparing. Well, the other brother did this, so why are you doing that, Dad? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. So there are two family celebrations. Baptism, we're going to celebrate tomorrow. I'm guessing there's someone here tonight, you've been hesitating and stalling, and tonight you need to come and talk to, I think it's uh, Marshall, one of the pastors is going to be up here after service. I believe there's someone here, someone online, someone in the parking lot, you need to come after service and say, you know what, I need to be baptized tomorrow. I just think there might be one person. I'm just throwing that out there as I move on. You're hesitating and you're stalling, and aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't hesitate and stall when he saved you? Aren't you glad that the Father ran to you? And you're hesitating, and you're stalling, and you're embarrassed. Embarrassed? Do you think it was embarrassing for Jesus to have the flesh ripped off his body? Just a thought, throwing it out on a Saturday night. <laughs> love God, love people. Baptism and communion. So we're going to receive communion. All of you received a cup, and we're just going to spend a few moments now. Paul gives us this instructions. He says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. <laughs> so I want you to think about a ring, a robe, and sandals, all that you've received from the Father. Psalm 139 says, Search me, God, know my heart. I just want you to ask yourself, is there parts of my life that are like that big brother, that older son, where I'm holding and resisting back? I'm not, I haven't fully surrendered to the Lord. So David wrote, search me, God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and would you lead me in the way everlasting? So in response to all that God has done for you and for me, we are going to receive the bread, and we're going to receive the cup. (laughs) And as we do this, I'm just simply going to ask us to inspect our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we can go ahead, and I, I like to take this all together. And so there's kind of, it's a little tricky. There are two pieces of cellophane, and let me just say this. You do not need to be a member of Crossroads or any particular church. You need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you've never made that commitment, you could actually make, this could be your way of saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to participate in your family. I've come to my senses, and I want to turn towards you. And so if you pull this top piece of cellophane back, you can grab this wafer. And this represents the body of Jesus Christ. His body was broken for you on the very night that he was betrayed. Jesus took a loaf of bread, and he broke it, and he passed it, and he said, this is my body. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, would you inspect our hearts? You've done so much for us. God, as I was getting ready for tonight's message, you reminded me, you know what, pastor, not a pastor, we all, we all need to regularly come before the Lord and say, are there ways that we are acting like that big brother? 
we're comparing ourselves to others. We're, we're holding on to things because we've been hurt. We don't want to forgive. We don't want to release. We want to blame. So Jesus, tonight as we take of your body, would you remind, remind us of all that you've done for us and we celebrate. So let's take and eat together tonight. Then if you take the other tab, you can pull back. Just be careful. If you don't do that carefully, you can spill on your neighbor. (laughs) On that night that Jesus gathered with his disciples, he took a cup after they'd ate the bread. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. There's no forgiveness of sins. He said, each time you take of the cup and drink, remember what I've done for you. This represents the blood that I shed for forgiveness. And every time we drink of the cup, we should rejoice and we should celebrate the change that God's brought into our life, the change that he's bringing into the communities and the families in which all of us live, and into the Crossroads Church family. And each time we should celebrate and be thankful and to rejoice. And so God, I pray that you'll bless this cup Remind us who we are, whose we are. Search our hearts, O Lord, if there's any wicked way in us. If there's any way that we aren't lining up, any way that we aren't releasing our past, our present, and our future to you, remind us right now as we drink of this cup. So let's take and drink together. I know you don't know me 